let's remain standing and let's take out our Bibles. Let's learn a little bit about this kingdom. Learn a little more about how we are to conduct ourselves and how we are to live as God's people within the context of the local congregation. So that's what we'll be looking at this morning. Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And we'll read the first 16 verses. We'll be looking uh, specifically, and we have in this short series, at verses 11 through 16. But let's once again read beginning in verse 1, as Paul writes to the Ephesians and writes to us this morning, and let us give heed to this, for this is God's word to us. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ." from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray for your blessing upon this time. We pray, Father, that your Spirit would take these words and that he would put them in our hearts that he would cause us to, to understand, that he would cause us to, to desire to do the things that you call us to today. May we rejoice in what Christ has done, what he is doing, and may we look to the part that we are called to play in our congregation, and may we seek to do it by his strength. And we ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. Please be seated. In the area of academia, there are some people who we refer to sometimes as what we call professional students or perpetual students. They just keep going to school. They spend their whole lives acquiring knowledge, acquiring degrees, but they 
arguably never do anything with the knowledge or with the degrees. There was a, a man named Michael Nicholson who in his life earned 27 earned degrees, including 23 master's degrees and a doctorate. Uh, for some of these people, for these perpetual students, education seems to be sort of an end in and of itself instead of a means to an end. Most people get an advanced education or get a degree or train in various ways for a career, for a trade of some kind. But these people, for one reason or another, just train. And you know, there are professional students, we might call them, in the church as well. Probably more than we might think. And we can sort of identify them this way. They are people who sit regularly, consistently, under the teaching and preaching of the Word, under the equipping ministry of the the pastor teachers in a congregation, as we've been talking about here. They've been gifted, as Paul speaks here, gifted by the Spirit of Christ with gifts for the good of the church. But that's as far as it goes. They are equipped, but they never do anything with their equipping. And as a corrective to that, and to help you guard yourself against it, we are looking here at these verses in Ephesians chapter 4. This is a passage on gifts. It's a passage on building up the body of Christ. It's a passage about the work of ministry in the church, or the work of service in the church. We see here in verses 11 and 12 that it says that he gave apostles and prophets, evangelists and shepherds and teachers. We've seen that that means pastors and teachers is another way of of translating that word. Uh, He gives them, verse 12 says, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That's it, for the work of the ministry. Ministry, again, is service. So it is the work of service within and for the church that Paul is talking about here in this passage. This is also a passage about unity and diversity. Or perhaps better, unity through diversity. We read that whole uh, beginning portion that leads up to, to verse 11. And we've seen that there is, there is unity in the church. There is a unity of the Spirit. We've also seen here that there is diversity in the church. In fact, the diversity is the means to preserving that unity, as Paul talks about earlier on here. We all have different gifts. Verse 7 says, Grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. And God gives different gifts. Uh, special gifts. We looked at that as Paul explains that one of the gifts that God gives to the church are gifted men that in various times he gives in various ways, and that's verse 11. Notice that it says, and he gave, the same Christ who came to earth, the same Christ who was ascended, has now given these gifts, and they are described as apostles and prophets and evangelists and the shepherds and teachers. The goal is that we would attain to the unity of the faith. We'll see that this morning, but look at verse 13. It says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the the stature of the fullness of Christ, 
so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. And then in verses 15 and 16, listen to this. He says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. So in verses 15 and 16, we have, all, we have these unity words. We have whole body and joined and held together, and it makes the body grow. But we also have diversity words. Every joint with which it is equipped. Each part working properly. So all of that is included in this as Paul is explaining to us how we are to function within the church. And we've been looking at it in a certain outline. In verse 11, we saw the provision for the work of ministry as God has given, as Christ has given uh, these gifts to men that he gave, these gifts particularly that are men, the apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. All of these offices in the church, by the way, as we saw last week, have one thing in common particularly, and that is that, they are, that their focus is on the Word of God. Their effectiveness, their, their usefulness comes through their connection with the Word of God. That is the tool of the trade for the teaching shepherd or the pastor teacher, which is the one that we have been focusing on here. The Word of God, that's the provision. The men who teach it and that Word itself. In verse 12, last week, we, we began to see the division of the work of ministry. The evangelists and especially the teaching shepherds relying on that foundational teaching of the apostles and the prophets in the Scripture. They equip the saints. That is their task. That is the pastor's task, is to equip you, to equip the saints. We looked at that last week. Through their teaching of the Word of God, his function is to, as God works through that, to perfect and to mature and to build up the saints. And this morning, then, we're going to turn our attention to this equipping of the saints and to what purpose it is taken. And I want to encourage you in now your responsibility. Last week we looked at the responsibility of the pastor teacher. Now we want to look at our responsibility as uh, those who are being equipped. Notice that he says there, verse 12, to equip the saints. Stop there. Now who is he talking about? It's interesting, Paul didn't say to equip the the members of the body of Christ or something like that. He said to equip the saints, literally the holy ones. And who are the holy ones? Who are the saints in the church? Is it St. Peter and St. Paul, St. Mary, St. Anne, St. Augustine, St. Aquinas? No, it's you. It's St. Ken and St. Fred, and St. Velma. Every Christian is a saint. Literally, the word means holy ones, and and you know that the word holy in in its foundational meaning means to be set apart. And so a saint is a person who has been set apart. Set apart 
by God, set apart for the service of God, consecrated to God. And that's who Paul is talking about here. So it's easy to see, too, why Paul, or why the Holy Spirit moved Paul to use this word. These men from, from chapter, or from verse 11, particularly the pastor teacher, uh, gifted in, in leading and feeding through the word, they are given to equip and to perfect those who have been, by their very calling, set apart by God to the service of God. And that's you. That's us. Paul reminds us that you are not your own. That you were bought with a price. And therefore you are to glorify God with your body. Elsewhere, he says, Acts 20, 28, that God purchased the church. He purchased you with his own blood. So that you are a a purchased commodity. Elsewhere in the scripture, we are called servants of Christ, slaves of Christ. And again, all with the same idea that we are set apart to serve God. And that brings us to where we want to be this morning, to how we are equipped and how we are to express that equipping so that we don't just sit back and, like the perpetual student, just soak all of this stuff in but that we carry out the task for which we have been set apart. And these gifted men, he mentions, equip you for a specific reason, for a specific task, and that is, as verse 12 says, for the work of ministry, for the work of service. Now, there are are some in, in the past who have said that In these two verses uh, that he gave, verse 11, he gave the apostles and prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to, and then they read it this way, to equip the saints for the, uh, to equip the saints for the work of ministry and for building up the body of Christ. So three things, they say, that are all on the pastor. But that, that doesn't fit with what the New Testament teaches. In fact, it doesn't even fit with what this passage is teaching. Look down at verse 16. It's sort of the summary at the end here. It says, From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. This points us to the fact that the work of ministry that is to be done is to be done by every part with all the gifts that they have been given. The whole body, it is every joint that supplies, uh, that, is, that by supplying its work makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the purpose of the teaching shepherd is, is to equip the saints for works of service. And all of this, the equipping and the works, the works of service, are for the purpose of building up the body of Christ. And as the Lord puts individual Christians into individual congregations, it is to build up also that congregation, that group of saints that God has put together. Paul says, he's saying here, that you are equipped so that you can work. Christianity is not a spectator sport. Paul said to the Thessalonians, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly bearing in mind your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the presence 
of our God and Father. So again, the pastor's job through the teaching of God's word is to equip you. Your job through the working of the Holy Spirit is to do the work of ministry, to do the work of service. We are called to service. We are equipped for service so that we might render service. And what is that work? What is that service that we are to to render? Well, it's not really difficult. It's not especially spiritual in sort of an ethereal sense. It's spiritual in the sense that it is dependent upon the work of the Holy Spirit. But there are no halos associated with it. It's not something you really have to dig deep to discover. You don't have to go to a a monastery or a, a school of prophecy or something to discover what it is. What it is is it is just faithfully doing the things that your gifts that God has given to you enable you to do. It's to, the work of ministry, the work of service, is to love one another. Not just in words, but in deeds. To share with those in need. It's to bear one another's burdens, as Paul said over in Galatians 6.2. It's to rejoice with your brothers and sisters when they rejoice. And to weep with them when they weep. It's to encourage one another through a visit or a phone call, a cup of coffee. It's to encourage and to instruct one another. It's to rebuke one another when that is needed. And, of course, to do that in love. It is to serve in the church. It's a myriad of of mundane ways that, according to verse 16, when each part is working properly that the body is built up. The body grows. And it can be very mundane things that need to be done in the church and that God gives gifts to people to do in the church. Things we would not maybe normally think of as spiritual gifts, but it is the gifting of the Spirit. If you can clean or organize or design or teach or play an instrument or run a soundboard, or take pictures, or design websites. You know, there are other gifts than teaching and leading. (coughs) And they're all important. It means to be hospitable, if that's your gift. To invite members and visitors over to your house, make them feel welcome. Fancy meals aren't necessary. And out... Doing one another in meal preparation is not appropriate. It's easy to fall into that. Excuse me. What we should do is, as Paul says in Romans 12, to outdo one another in showing honor. If you want to outdo one another, there's that. Christian fellowship is what's important. It means to call the pastor and say, did we get a phone number, an address from those people that were visiting visiting us today, and give them a call. Works of service means to share the gospel with those you know or those that you don't. It means to pray often, pray much, pray sincerely for the work here, for the pastors and the elders, for the members, for the needs of members, 
as well as for future members, for the visitors that may come. It means to give sacrificially of your finances, if that's what God has called you and enabled you to do and given you the resources to do, to finance a project if the Lord has so prospered you. It can mean to lead or facilitate a Bible study if that is your gift. (coughs) It means to pray for your pastor's voice when it threatens to go out in the middle of a sermon. It means to print and fold bulletins perhaps or newsletters or visitor follow-up letters if those are your gifts. It means to serve on a committee willingly if that's your gift. Better yet, offering before you are even asked. It means to teach Sunday school, if that's your gift. To come and clean up outside of the church, pull weeds, mow grass, wash windows. It means to hand out bulletins, to greet visitors, to make sure they get a a visitor card and fill it out and feel welcome, to sit with them at our fellowship meal, introduce them around to others. All of those things. And it means to participate in the service with your whole heart. To sing to the Lord with a, with a joyful heart. To concentrate on the various parts of the service. To pray for the service, even before service. Pray for the sermon. Pray for the pastor. It means to come and say, Pastor, what is needed? What can I do? What need can I fill? To do the work of ministry means to serve one another in this context. To do it in humility, to do it in gentleness, to do it with patience and with endurance. Verse 2 says that we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And it means to be faithful in that service. When you say you will do something, to do it. To give your best, to do your best. To go above and beyond as a gatekeeper in the house of the Lord. Now, of course, not everyone can or should do everything. You have to be gifted to do certain things. And that gifting comes from God. You have to be equipped to do whatever it is. That comes from the teaching ministry of the church. And you have to be motivated. And that comes from the Holy Spirit working in you. How important is it for you to do your part and actually do the work of service that you are being equipped to do? Well, think about it from this this passage here. Christ, in verses 8 through 10, has earned the right to give gifts to men by coming to earth, by being humbled. We're coming up to to this week, beginning this week, where we focus on the, the nadir of the humiliation of Christ, but also by his being exalted. Christ earned the right, as Paul says here in this chapter, to give gifts, and he gave gifts. To everyone, and he gave gifted men to equip you in your use of the gifts in order to build up the body of Christ, to come to unity and fuller knowledge and greater holiness and better discernment and doctrinal purity to cause the church to grow. What a great lofty purpose, and and God has gone to such great lengths to equip you so that you can do those things. 
And then what happens practically if then you say, no, I'm not going to do it. God has equipped me with gifts. He's equipped me by his word. He's given me the responsibility to serve his people with those gifts. But I don't want to. I don't want to do the work. I don't want to use the gifts. I have other places to give my time. The potential, if people do that, is, is for everything in a church to stop. Beloved, don't let that happen. Don't let the work stop because you don't want to be involved. Now, I'm encouraging you here. I'm not, trying, I'm not beating on you. I talked about that last week. That's not the pastor's job. But I said sometimes it's important for him to be blunt. And as Paul is talking about the things, the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, it's part of that for us to know that we need to do the work of ministry. Ask yourself this. And get ready for this. Seriously ask yourself. And I ask myself this too. How would this congregation fare if everyone had the the same attitude toward the church and serving it that I do? If everyone else had my level of love for the saints and my level of commitment to sacrificing for the good of the congregation, would we even be able to open the doors next Sunday? You know, in the years after the exile of God's people in, in Babylon, some of them, by no means all of them, returned to Jerusalem under the leadership of Zerubbabel, and they undertook a great project of rebuilding the house of God. But after they completed the foundation, the people gave in to the the opposition, they sort of buckled under, and they stopped. And for 16 years, the temple just sat there. Foundations uh, laid, but not finished. And then finally God sent two prophets to the people, and one of them, Haggai, said to the people, consider your ways, which is a way of saying, think about what you're doing or what you're not doing. He said, go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord. God calling his people to not quit, to not stop. And Paul, Peter says, rather, in 1 Peter 2.5, that we, are, as living stones, are being built up. Paul said in Ephesians 2, uh, just earlier in this book, that we are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So, beloved, let us consider our ways. Let us each rejoice to do our part. Let each of us be faithful in the part that God has particularly equipped and gifted us to do here at Reading Reform Fellowship. Not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, but out of gratitude. Out of gratitude to God, out of love for God's people, and out of love for God's work here. Because we're all working for a common purpose. This is all designed, verse 12 tells us, for building up the body of Christ. And that's an admirable goal, isn't it? To see that the body is built up, that it is strengthened. And the Lord is going to use us, again, by His grace, to do it. We each have a part to play here from week to week. And that's the the division of labor in the ministry. 
The pastor is to work hard all week in praying and studying and preparing and counseling and teaching and writing and then preaching on Sunday. And you are to work hard all week in doing the works of service that God has called you to do. All of those things we just went through where you and and your giftedness that God has given to you where you can fit in and where you can work. And on Sunday, we are to worship God together. Worship together with the saints. Absorb the teaching as we are reminded of the work of Christ for our salvation. Meditate on that word as it's brought. Talk about it. Internalize it. Pray over it. Examine it. And it starts all over then with another week of service as we are equipped from week to week from the word of God to use the gifts that he gives us to serve the church. And in this way, in this way, the body of Christ here will be built up through the provision for the ministry and the division of the work of ministry. Well, to what purpose? What's the goal? What is the, and the third thing we're going to look at is what is the vision for the work of ministry? Verses 13 through 16 show us that when when everyone is doing their work together, wonderful things will happen. Things are meant to happen. Wonderful things are meant to. Here are the goals now that, that Paul gives in verses 13 through 16 of this building up of the body of Christ into which we are all engaged as Paul speaks of them here in Ephesians chapter 4. Five things that will result from us, from me doing my part, you doing your part. The first is unity. We're all involved the equipper and the equipped, we are, we are all, all of the saints here are involved in unity. Verse 13 says that this is all to be done, this work of the ministry for building up the body of Christ. That's like a, a general statement. He says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith. Essentially, that's the same unity that he talked about at the beginning of the chapter where he talked about the unity of the Spirit. And that is to be maintained by us, Paul says, and it is maintained by us when we look to others and serve others. And remember that that service is characterized by humility, by gentleness, by patience, and by endurance, verse 2 of chapter 4. And that is a picture of a maturing body of believers. So unity is the first thing that this brings together. The second thing is intimacy. Verse 13, he says, Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God. Another result of the equipping and growing together is, and this is a great one really, that we will know Christ better. I mean, really know Him that we will attain to the knowledge of the Son of God. Not just know about Christ, but know Him, experiencing the blessings of Christ. That's what Paul talked about back in Philippians 3 when he said, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. 
Everything else pales in comparison to being united to Christ and experiencing Christ through the Spirit. And he goes on there in Philippians 3, and he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. Not just to know it, not, you know, not that I will understand that it took great divine power to raise Jesus from the dead, but Paul's talking about, he's saying that I want to experience the fullness, or to the fullest, the power that that resurrection can have in my life, how it affects my life that I can know what it's like to be united to Christ in his resurrection, to experience the the, the power over sin and the Christ-like life which Christ himself secured for me. That's spiritual intimacy with Christ. And that too is built up as we do what God has called us to do within the congregation. So unity and intimacy. There's a third, maturity. He says in verse 13, until we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. To become a mature man as a congregation. It's another one of those places where Paul just kind of piles up these words to make the point to mature manhood and to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's talking about spiritual maturity. Is that a goal that we have? I hope so. If we don't have that as a goal, we have big problems. And if any person within our congregation doesn't have that as a goal, you have a problem that you need to deal with. Because we, as as those that have been saved by grace... Saved by the mercy of God, plucked out of that pit that we were in, and placed on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, we want to grow in Christ. We want to become mature Christians. So, see, here Paul is saying that our ultimate goal is to be like Christ. And that is our goal. Not just to know him, even intimately, but to be like him. Paul says that that's the, that's the goal of our being chosen by God. We are what? Predestined to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's how foundational this is. It is to this that we must aspire. And it's toward that end that God has given gifts, has given gifted men, and has given us the ability to be be equipped and to grow. Now we can also look at at this maturity in a negative way. Paul does here in verse 14. He says, so that we may no longer have something going on. That we may no longer be children. See, we want to be mature That is, we want to no longer be children. Now, there's a very real sense that when we come to Christ, at whatever age it is, we all become children. We're new creations. Whatever you were before, whatever age, whatever position, whatever learning, when you come to Christ, you come 
In fact, Jesus said, you must come as a little child. And that's natural. That's fine. That's, that's the order. We are born again, and so we begin as children. In fact, one of the errors that we sometimes make in the church is that we think that people are born again into the kingdom as spiritual adults. And we sort of treat them that way. When someone is converted, when someone is converted, we often think that they're sanctified at the same time. And that's not true. Oh, God may deliver someone dramatically from some sin when he saves them, but generally, those things are purged from our lives a little bit at a time. Slowly. Sometimes oh so slowly. Agonizingly slowly. And Christian graces are brought in and built up gradually. Sometimes painfully. And we have to remember that growth takes time and that it starts from the bottom. That doesn't mean we just disregard sin. That doesn't mean that we we seek for growth and, and look for growth. But we're conscious that the only time that we experience instantaneous freedom from sin is going to be when we die. Until then, it's going to be a little bit at a time. But though we're all born children, we're not to stay children. Paul makes much of that. We can and do reasonably expect growth in ourselves. As new children or new Christians or older Christians are in the church and they're taught and they're encouraged and they're guided as they're discipled, as they, as they have a Peter said, as they, like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, as they they grow in respect to salvation, you know, that's something that's necessary. It's necessary for a physical baby. What is appropriate for babies is not then appropriate for us as we grow. We don't want to stay on milk. Paul admonished the Corinthians He said, I I gave you milk to drink and not solid food, but you weren't able to receive it then, and even now you're not able to receive it. The things that are appropriate for children are not appropriate for us as we continue on in our Christian life. Paul said, when I was a child, I spoke as a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And we must not be stagnant. We must not be satisfied to just remain in the same sort of spiritual level. The writer of Hebrews says, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. So we must no longer be children. We must move on to maturity. And that is part of what happens when everyone is doing the work that they need to do. When the pastor is, when we are. Because we teach one another, don't we? We give opportunity for people to to grow in their faith as they minister to us, don't they? Or don't we? So there's unity, 
There's intimacy. There's maturity. Fourth, there's stability. We need stability as Christians, as a congregation too. That's something also that children don't have in that comparison that that he makes here. Children are tossed to and fro by the waves of, of anything. Children change their mind. Children change their mood on a dime. You that have children, you know that. They can be laughing and happy one second and screaming the next and back to laughing the next. They lack that stability. They lack self-discipline. They're driven by, by appetites and by emotions. And unfortunately, many Christians are the same way. Driven by appetites and emotions. But God calls us to be self-controlled. He calls us to, to, to be self-controlled people. That's a fruit of the Spirit. Remember that from Galatians 5? Children are also very volatile, some more than others. It doesn't take much to set one off. Just take away his favorite toy or respond to one of his requests with that most dreaded of words, no, and you'll find out. If a child doesn't do what another child wants, well, I'll just take my ball and go home, right? And if older people do that and act like that, we say they're acting like what? Yeah. But boy, that sounds like a lot of people in churches. If I don't get what I want, if the elders say no to my request or my demand, I'll just leave and go somewhere else. And I'll take maybe as many people as I can with me. That's immaturity. That's lack of growth in Christ. But being well-equipped and being active in the ministry of the church as we build one another up will cause us to grow out of that kind of behavior. Through being equipped in the church, we must and will become stable. There's a fifth thing here, one more here. We've seen unity as a result of us being equipped and doing the work of ministry. Unity, intimacy, maturity, stability, and let's call it solidity. Another thing children don't have. Look at verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, in deceitful schemes. Children have no solidity in that way. They are easily moved. They are easily convinced. You can convince a child of just about anything. With a baby, you can, through demonstration, convince them that strained peas are a good thing. With a little sleight of hand, you can convince an older child that he has quarters in his ears. And that's because, no offense intended children or former children, Children are gullible. They have very little discernment. And part of parenting is to develop that discernment in them, to develop critical thinking skills in them. Well, immature Christians are the same way as immature people. It says here that they are carried about by every wind of doctrine. Many Christians have no solidity, have no discernment. They hear this, that sounds good. They hear that, that sounds good. So they follow it. They pick up this book. They hear that preacher. 
They see this supposed miracle. They listen to this person that comes to their door. They, they just blow here and there with every wind that blows through, like a leaf being blown down the road. They're subject to this and that wind of doctrine. Why is that? Because they don't have a grounding in the Word of God. They don't have or haven't taken that equipping to the next step of putting it into practice. Very likely, they're not being equipped to be discerning. For many, it's because they've flitted from church to church one teaching this thing, one teaching that thing. I've talked to people, I've talked to relatives who have gone to four or five different churches and, and, and they're just churches that teach very, very different things. And that happens a lot. And therefore they don't know what they believe. And they're very susceptible then to just being caught up by the next updraft or downdraft. And they're equally susceptible to those who try and come intentionally to deceive them. Verse 14 talks at the end about by human cunning and by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul warned the Ephesians, the elders of the Ephesian church in Acts 20. He said, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And so he charged the elders... To do what? To equip the saints. To guard the flock. To equip them to be able to recognize false teachers and false teachings. And then Paul commended them to God and to the word of his grace. Which, he says, is able to equip you. Which is able to build you up. And they're out there. False teachers are out there. And the equipped saint is the one who will be able to stand against them. So it's vital that I do my work and that you do your work. So we're not to be like children any longer. But we are working to attain, verse 13, what verse 13 calls mature manhood. And then in verse 15 he says that we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. The true head of the church. The only head of the church. Christ. He's the head. We are the body. And he is the one that causes the body to grow. He does it through the spirit. He does it through the word. He does it through gifted men, equipping gifted people to do works of service. And then he concludes in verse 16 by saying, from whom, that is to Christ, Christ, referring to Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, that's you, when each part that's you, is working properly, makes the body, that's you, grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's what makes the body of Christ grow so that it's built up in in love. Every joint, each joint, each part working properly. You are important. You are important in this congregation whether you think you are or not. Everyone who is a part of the body of Christ is important and needs to be a working part of the body of Christ. (coughs) I think of 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul talks about if the eye says, well, I'm not the ear, so I'm just not going to do my job, where would the body be? Where would the sight be? And so as we wrap up here, once again, we have to be struck 
as we go through this passage with one thing above all. Yes, there are pastors and teachers or pastor teachers who equip. There are those of us in the church who need to be equipped and to work. But where's the center? What's the center of all this? What's the source of all of this? And that is Christ. He is the center in this teaching. He is the center of every teaching. The gifts that each of us have come from the Spirit of Christ. They have been given by Christ, verses 7 and 8. The gifts that he gives to the church through gifted men are gifts that he gave. The purpose of the gifts is that we will be like Christ. And the goal of all of this is so that we would grow up into him who is the head, even Christ. Growing in Christ is our goal. And it is from Christ that we all draw the resources necessary for that growth. It is all Christ, beloved. It is all Christ. He is the source. He is the goal. He's the head. We're the body. And through the provision of all things necessary for the work of the ministry, and through the proper understanding of the division of the work of ministry, we can hope to attain the vision of the work of ministry, and that is that we see ourselves being built up into Christ, built up in love. And to that, let us uh, aspire, and to that, let us say, amen. Father, we thank you for your gifts to the church. We thank you for... For the greatest gift of the church, our Lord Jesus Christ, who is the source of all of our giftedness. Every spiritual blessing is ours in Christ Jesus, you tell us. We pray, Father, that you would help us. As we've looked at these things over the past few weeks, Lord, we pray that you would help us to to see ourselves be equipped, to desire ourselves to be equipped, to pray for our pastor and our elders as they equip us. We pray, Father, that you would help us to to not be those professional students and just soak all of it up, but that we would give. Lord, we pray that we would be able to give based on the, the giftedness that you have given to each of us. And we pray that we would be willing to, Father, bind us together as a congregation, help us to, to grow in the, the, the to grow in Christ and the knowledge of Christ. We pray, God, that you would help us to grow up into him who is our head, even our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.